house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. What's the matter with you? I can't swim! <laughs> Why are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that has always dreamed about attending the Sundance Film Festival, but not like this... Not like this. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong, but not this time. This time, we are here with a bonus episode about the 2021 Sundance Film Festival and how it might pertain to future Academy Awards lineups and discussions and considerations and such. I am your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with the digital swag bag we all covet, Chris File. Hello, Chris. First of all, I've always hated the term swag bag. Of course, it's a disgusting term. Why do you think it's, I used it? It sounds profane. It does. It absolutely um, does. And yet it's like full of like incredibly expensive sponsored items. Like I was going to say, what's in a digital swag bag? Is it AirPods? Can they send me some AirPods? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what kind of... I did not attend... Uh, any of the parties, let's say, at Digital Sundance. Our friend uh, and former guest uh, Katie Rich wrote a wonderful piece for Vanity Fair about such uh, events, but I did not go to any. Such virtual parties and being uh, in like the corner of the yeah. bar. I imagine it was a lot of coupons. Like a lot of coupon yeah. codes, like a lot of discount codes, or like, because like it's, you, it's, you can't have anything physically in there, but like, I, didn't I don't know. get any of these party invites. I'm not cool. I'm not. Oh God! I no, might same. have done it out of morbid curiosity, but uh, even even in a digital sphere, e- even if it's like Twitter, like social anxieties are just like magnified in that in those type of spheres. So I would have been. I would have ran for the hills, maybe as someone who is terrified of others. Yeah. I would be much more inclined to go to a party in person where I can just sort of like gawk and eat free food and drink free drinks and not have to look at like myself in a weird little corner of the screen where like that's because that's the thing about zoom is that it's impossible not to be self-conscious because you can always you know see yourself to some degree or another and like body language doesn't exist across zooms right right, right. um and like, conversation is impossible like me you rely yeah. on that but no, we didn't. It's it, the Sundance is very interesting because it's both yours and my first experience watching Sundance movies, and in your case, uh, being accredited for Sundance. And yet, it's this very like uh, you know, um, what's the term for when something is a, a a fake version of something? I don't know. I'm losing my vocabulary. We're recording this in the evening and my brain is shot. Um, I've watched 33 feature films. My brain is utter mush. I also... It's like a hologram of a a real film festival. 
Yeah. Yes. Um. Yes. So. Uh, the ghost of the festival. But yes, right. I also watched all of the short films as well. You watched. Okay. So what is what are your numbers? What are your numbers for Sundance this year in terms of what you watched? All of the shorts, which I believe comes to 50 or around 50 and 33 features. A few I got to see <laughs> early. But yeah, yeah. my brain. And um, that's like. Has liquefied the- and fallen out of my eye sockets. And it's not like there are a ton. It's not like Sundance. If for people who don't know and are not super familiar, uh, the a film festival like Toronto has like hundreds of movies. Sundance isn't that many. There were only this year ten in the dramatic competition, and then a bunch sort of screen in you know documentary competition, which I think is just another ten. And I then there's it was maybe like like seventy seventy five films. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you watched you know. Almost half of the uh, of the films to be watched, which is like I watched I think, all of the U.S. Really narrative competition titles at least, right? And then I tried to get a sampling elsewhere, but I paid my way, so I saw nine movies. Hell yeah! <laughs> which, um, which is fine. Of the dramatic competition movies, the only one that I that I really wasn't able to buy a ticket to because it was sold out was Coda, obviously, which we will get to. But I saw John in the Hole, On the Count of Three, and Passing. So I saw three of the ten U.S. Dramatic Competition titles, as well as a few others. We will uh, talk about it. But yeah, we both had um, really different experiences, but... Uh, enough that we can sort of cover the breath. The the vibe with this year's Sundance, obviously, is it's happening in a pandemic. Uh, it was sort of the last film festival to happen before uh, the pandemic, and we didn't know uh, how good we had it, and certainly the people who were there didn't know. And you saw um, a lot of Sundance but, attendees and press people that went last year that they're like, wait, was that horrible fucking cold that I got coming back from Sundance? Was, right. Did I get COVID then? Yes. Please. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That like, did I have the flu uh, in in late January? There was probably a lot of that. Yeah. So the thing, but the thing I sort of wanted to mention about sort of film festivals in general during the pandemic was for the ones that weren't outright canceled. South by Southwest was canceled. Can was canceled. Um, or like that weren't Venice that just decided that's just like we'll, we'll do it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> caution to the wind. Right. But like the North American festivals, yeah, Toronto, well, Toronto was geo restricted, where if you didn't, you weren't Canadian, you couldn't purchase, you couldn't screen anything digitally, even. But like the American festivals, one of the interesting sort of side effects of the pandemic was people who normally wouldn't be able to attend a film festival because of geography, because of, you know, logistics and whatever, um, were able to, if they were sort of savvy about it and were able to sort of like seek some stuff out, were able to screen movies from these different festivals. This is why a lot of people were able to watch Minari over the summer. This is why people, this is how I was mm-hmm. able to watch Nomadland and On the Rocks and French Exit at the New York Film Festival, even though I wasn't in New York. And so Sundance had this aspect too, where if you're, you know, not necessarily accredited press, and Sundance is an incredibly difficult to access 
film festival, not just because of the cost of getting a pass, let's say, or uh, or buying tickets, but like getting to Park City, Utah and staying in Park City, Utah is incredibly cost prohibitive. It's a very it's not like Telluride level, but like it's not uh Toronto in a normal year or even New York Film Festival. And the tickets to New York Film Festival movies are expensive and there's not a ton of screenings, so it's a little hard to do, but like and you're staying in New York if you're traveling there and that's not cheap. But um Sundance is a lot is pretty exclusive mm-hmm. and that's why the culture around Sundance is you're either accredited press or you are in some way or another in the biz, right? You're in there are there are people who attend Sundance as a film goer, but you really have to have the means to do it. So there's a democratization of Sundance this year that is really interesting. And you pair that with the fact that the lineup is pared down. You got the sense that like there's not a ton of major stuff. Uh, premiering this year that you might something like a brooklyn that would have premiered a few years ago mm-hmm. wasn't going to happen this year something like or honestly probably even something like the father right last year right exactly nothing that like already like i besides judas and the black messiah and um the one with the generic title who i can never remember the title of the world to come i can never remember that title um, we'll talk about that movie. But like, shame you. Nothing else already had distribution, right? None, like, pretty much. Or am I wrong? Uh, well, Land did. Okay. Night of the Kings did. Night of the Kings premiered. This is what I I was. I thought it was odd that it, it went to Sundance. Uh, I mean, it was like a late screening. It's in the like sidebar that's meant for movies that have already premiered elsewhere. But like it did a digital qualifying run. So it's like, it was a movie that was already digitally available to people. It's a great movie. I hope people seek it out. It's the Ivory Coast foreign Oscar submission right. um, this year. But land had, I think land is the no land had a distribution prior to Sundance. That was always going to be a focus movie. Right. Together, together um, is with Bleecker Street. That was at least bought before the festival. Oh, okay. Before it premiered. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen it listed as an acquisition in certain roundups. So, um, I, there's that sort I of think thing the about announcement like happened after the Sundance announcement happened. So. I see. Yeah, well, that's sort of be a chicken or the egg. Right, right. But I guess my larger point just to sort of like close that loop and finish a thought, which is such a rare thing for me, the the democratization of being able to watch movies at these kinds of festivals during this pandemic has been pretty interesting. And for me, who uh, I didn't go for press accreditation for Sundance, because there's really, I don't really have a professional avenue for it at the moment besides this. Um it was cool to be able to, you know, cherry pick. Again, I wasn't able to see everything and it would have been, you know, cool to see more. And I did end up spending a little, you know, south of $150 on tickets. It was whatever. still cheaper than New York Fest tickets. Yeah, totally. Like, New York had some of those tickets that were 25 bucks that you and I paid well, for. And, and like, that's a chunk of coin. $15 a ticket is about what it costs to see a movie in New York on a good, you know, on a good day. So like, exactly, that's fine. Exactly. Um, and 
And, like, you could be putting it on your TV and you and your roommates or you and your partner could be watching the movie. So it's like... Theoretically, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh... I mean, I was going to say, you you were like, this is our first Sundance for both of us. And I'm sure that's true of a lot of our listeners, too. And that's one of the cool things about yes. our the whole, like, virtual festival sphere. And because the lineup was pared down, I think you get... There's always... my My impression, at least, with Sundance is... We asked. I talked. I talked about this with Katie uh, a little bit before because Katie has been to Sundance uh, before, and I was curious as to sort of how you know what to see at Sundance. With Toronto, there's a lot more of like there are movies that have played either maybe Cannes or Sundance earlier in the season, or like you get a sense of what is going to be maybe a studio's awards play. There's a lot more information that you know about Toronto movies ahead of time to help you make your decisions Mm -hmm. about what to see. And even still, there are some things where you seek them out and you try to see something and take a chance on something. But I feel like with Sundance, you know so much less about these movies. And she was just like, for some of them, you, you know, maybe you've been reached out to by publicists. For others, you just sort of follow the word around town for maybe like catching the second screening of a thing Mm -hmm. that people really liked. And, but I think a lot of that in a regular Sundance year, there's a lot more sort of top down direction pushing from people. Whereas it felt like this was, I was following, I was able to follow sort of the buzz from other people with a lot of this kind of stuff. And it felt very sort of uh, a high, a high discovery factor in this. From my, mm-hmm. you know, own first time uh, perspective. But I thought that was cool. I will say for my scheduling, too, it definitely felt like, you know, taking some crap shoots and hoping that there would be discovery there. And there were actual, like, things that I felt like I discovered this movie, yeah. you know, um, not like me myself. But, sure. Like, it allowed for an element of surprise. Right? Do you have, like, a number one? Like, if I was to be like, what was your favorite thing you saw at Sundance this year? Is there one that jumps out or is it a handful? I mean, it's a lame answer because it already premiered at another festival before this, but it truly is the world to come. Yeah. Um, I I love that movie. Talk um, about that movie. Who's 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 in it? Who directed it? It's kind of already gotten pegged as another like period lesbian drama. <laughs> it, there is a romance between um, Catherine Waterston and Vanessa Kirby that um, uh, th- I. I I just think it's a movie that there is a lot more going on there, certainly about how um, history has treated women and the ability for women's stories to be kept and told. Um, It is set uh, during the American frontier days, I believe in the mid 19th century where um, Catherine Waterston's character and her husband played by Casey Affleck have just recently had a child who's died and they don't really have much communication with the out side world because in those times like you would have to travel to your town center to see people and uh vanessa kirby and her husband move nearby uh played by christopher abbott and uh a romance buds and then other things happen that i think uh are incredibly significant to what the movie actually is beyond a romance uh that i wouldn't want to give away the timing of this year's award season because the oscar calendar bumped itself back a couple months so that now if something premieres by the end of February, it'll count towards this year's Oscar race. You're in this sort of new and kind of for this movie in particular, kind of a bummer territory where 
By the time yeah. this thing screened at Sundance, we're already past the Indie Spirit nominations. We're past most of the mm-hmm. Critics Awards. So we already know that like the world to come doesn't really have the even though even those sort of fleeting Sundance hopes where you're you're in February, it's the beginning of the year, you don't know what ne- the whole year is going to become. Anything could become an indie mm-hmm. sensation. Where we already knew at this point that like all of the levers that the world to come could have maybe pulled in this uh, award season didn't happen so it's just like well and like even in sundance terms it was the last day of the festival like after the night after uh judas and the black messiah premiered so it was like everything was completely winding down at that point right like and i think it feels like the scheduling of this movie because it'll be opening in theaters next week and then early march you can watch it on vod uh i would suggest our listeners choose that option right now um but definitely seek this movie out. It um, it just feels like the type of movie that is a little screwed by this because I don't necessarily know if it was, if its intentions are fully for Oscar, even though it got scheduled at that point, and it feels right. like, unfortunately, it's just going to get buried, you know? Well, and so much of what you talk about in terms of awards hopes for movies that are this small is what can help it get a little bit of box office in a, in a regular year, you would be like, well, at least if the world to come could get like an indie spirit nomination or like a critics award mm-hmm. somewhere, maybe it can get a little bit more attention and a little bit more box office. And in this year, that's not really a thing. Like box office is such a, you know, odd amorphous, you know, thing and keeping stats of VOD and digital stuff is even more amorphous. And, you know, uh, I don't even bother with that kind of thing. But it feels like with so with a movie like The World to Come, it's almost just like it's back to just a movie existing for a movie's sake and just see it just because, mm-hmm. just because it's good. Like just, you know, yep. seek it out. It's a good movie. Whereas something like Judas and the Black Messiah, which you just mentioned, is another movie that like didn't screen in competition, is was sort of the maybe the only movie at Sundance that felt like it was platforming itself for its awards run here. Like this Mm -hmm. was part of the platform for it to uh, almost kick off its awards campaign because it's one of the latest later breaking movies into the award season. And then like, Mm -hmm. obviously this week as we're recording this, Daniel Kaluuya has picked up golden globe and SAG nominations for best supporting actor. He sort of, become i think we both agree that he's uh possibly just gonna steamroll i i don't know if i would say steamroll but i would put him as the front runner right now he seems like Mm -hmm. it seems like the buzz on him is just beginning and i think it could you know keep getting bigger he's of the major contenders who i feel like if we're talking about supporting actor your major contenders at this point are leslie odom jr for one night in miami and Chadwick Boseman in *To Five Bloods*, and even though he didn't get a SAG nomination, I think Bill Murray for *On the Rocks* is probably still in the hunt. Who am I uh, forgetting? Who got SAG nominated uh, today? Sasha Baron Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen for *Chicago 7, who like could be a contender, like not to like. And then of course the juggernaut that is Jared Leto uh, for oh uh, what is that? The Little Things. That's another title that's so 
general I can ever think of. I it. think the fact that the title of that movie is The Little Things is the funniest thing about all that. That's one of those pop punk songs from like the early 2000s, right? Wasn't there a song called That's The Little like Things? That's like the title of a Nicholas Sparks movie. <laughs> it's a terrible title. I still have to see that movie. But like, I think of those yeah, performances, and like, there are good performances in there. I think Sasha Baron Cohen is good in that movie. I think Leslie Odom Jr. is good mm. in One Night in Miami. But I think by a large margin, I know... Get, let me make my point before uh, you nitpick. <laughs> before I'm a bitch. I think of those performances, with the, the caveat that I haven't seen Jared Leto yet, Kaluuya's is by far the most dynamic, the most impactful on his film. His film uh, is uh, reverent. Not, I don't want to say reverent because that makes the movie sound gauzier than it is but like he's playing fred hampton it's the story of the black panthers in Chicago. right and the movie knows absolutely how important he is and like the movie centers itself around him even though he is definitely a supporting actor and that he's absent for quite a bit of the movie it's lakeith stanfield's movie but like he's the kind of supporting performance that has such a light on it and then he mm-hmm. does so much with that spotlight that like it's a classic classic oscar-winning performance and it all the ingredients are there and you know he's fantastic as it is so that is the one movie that i think sort of used sundance as the kind of platform that it could uniquely be this year because of what the oscar calendar is mm-hmm. so and people had seen it for a while now. They, I think, kind they of had done like screenings. hand-selected yeah. press and asked them to stay quiet about right. it. Um, because, of course, when that happens, you see like hints and suggestions uh, about things. Um, but the movie's fantastic. Absolutely. I think it'll be a Best Picture nominee. Oh, you do? Uh, you can watch it on HBO Max next week. Yeah, I think, it, I think that's right. It's definitely soon. Um, so you think it's a Best Picture nominee contender? I absolutely do. I mean, Warner Brothers, they have that and ten. Yeah, that's um, a good point. That's a real good point. And Warner Brothers is better at the Oscar thing than people sometimes give it credit for, for being sort of... Sometimes the bigger studios uh, get underrated for not being Fox Searchlight or not being... Um, when the old days Miramax, do you know what I mean? But uh, WB does pretty well. Well, and am I remembering it wrong, or did it show up on the AFI top? 10? I think it. I think it did. I can look it up to make I'm, sure. I'm positive it did. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's breaking at the right time. It's what it's maybe the one film that is doing the late in the game uh, February release the best without having what Minari and Nomadland did, which was play festivals very early, um, mm-hmm. which is also working out for them. Like it's not, I Nomadland and Minari are still doing quite well this award season, but um, Judas and the Black Messiah is doing the wait till the very end thing pretty well. And hopefully in a way that I honestly think, I mean, like of course, this is arguable. It didn't get the SAG Ensemble nomination that I probably would give it. It didn't get uh, more than a song nomination and Daniel Kaluuya at the Globes. But, like, Oscar ballots aren't even out yet right. for nominations. Right. Like, this movie is going to be hitting yes. at exactly the right time. Yep. yep. Everybody loves the movie. Yeah. All right. 
Now with that out of the way, though, let's talk about the sort of the more, you know, Sundancey Sundance movies, the smaller ones. Um, a one other that we haven't really gone into that you saw and I didn't that is eligible for this year, probably won't get mm-hmm. anything, was right. Land, the Robin Wright uh, nomad land without the nomad, I guess. It's just it's just land. <laughs> um, it is uh it is uh uh no sad land right uh, right tell me about land uh robin wright uh it's her feature directorial debut she's done uh some television at least of directing she stars in the movie as well as a woman who is uh going through a certain kind of grief that is revealed over the movie and she runs away to i believe the rocky mountains to live in a cabin on her own and not be around any people uh, because people uh, are more isolating than actually being alone um and she has to like fight with the elements and figure out how to live because she's like a woman from the city um yeah i mean i think it's a solid movie i think she directs it well i think the script when people actually have to speak (laughs) um is not very good yeah um but it's a beautiful like movie to watch i think her performance is great it's not going to go anywhere with oscar i think it's just one of those movies that this is the timing of it and it happens to be eligible um but i would say for listeners to seek it out again it's another movie that next week will be in theaters and will be on vod shortly after yeah all right the other movie that i wanted to talk about that is not a 2020 or a 2020 holdover um although I want to talk about the asterisk I want to put on that in a second. But the big winner of this year at Sundance in a lot of ways was CODA. It was absolutely the biggest word of mouth from people covering the festival. It won a bunch of the awards at the end. It got bought for a record, I want to say, $25 million. Absolutely the record. From Apple. By by a decent margin. It beat... um. Just the previous year, Palm Springs set the record by, like, a penny or something. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And that was, like, what? uh, I think it was around, like, 22 million. Coda was bought by Apple TV Plus for 25 million. Apple TV Plus, my most uh, hinterlandsy of the new uh, streaming platforms that have now decided to start acquiring films it's worth it for dickinson i know it's It's worth it for it's got some good stuff on it but it's the one it's absolutely the one i visit the least so it's the one i i'm always just like when some when they acquire something i'm always just a little bit just like oh like i'm never here's the thing about the money they spent on this movie i think what it really signifies aside from the fact that this is a movie that people like and people were uh competitively bidding for it i think what it really signifies more than anything is that apple is trying to make themselves a player sure. in these type of situations and they were willing to shill out the money to get the movie that everybody was talking was about was their biggest um, 2020 movie uh greyhound or did they have anything else that they tried for they bought greyhound right but in terms of from, like believe, what Paramount. what they released this year was there anything well they partnered with a24 for boy state and on the rocks oh did they um, oh right that's right they were they on the did. rocks for some reason and my <laughs> mind always wanted to put on the rocks with the uh, hbo max but no 
They also partnered with, I believe, G Kids. For I could be wrong that it's G yes, Kids, but for they Wolf also Walkers. have Wolf Walkers. Yes. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if Wolf Walkers is G Kids, but whatever that company is, that Apple uh, did partner with them. You're right about that. I shouldn't give. The other thing is, uh, I should say, I watch via usually Roku, sometimes an Amazon Fire Stick. So, like, for everybody who has Apple TV, like, that's great. That's a great place for Coda to end up because everybody who has Apple TV, like they, you know, it's probably, you know, in their laps at this moment. Um, The one really interesting thing, and I'll give you a minute in a second to uh, a minute in a second. What's wrong with me? Um, (laughs) For you to talk about how you don't love this movie. Um, I don't. It's the, the theory that, I heard maybe from like one person, but now I've decided it's just like a possibility because I want it to be is that Apple should rush release this by the end of February and get Marley Matlin a best supporting actress Oscar, which I would love just for I mean, the wildness of it. And it's the Glenn Close Oscar besides. You couldn't, it, that would, that would, I think they could drop it right now and put it in a bunch of people's homes and they can watch this nice little movie um, that makes a lot of people happy already that have seen it and just to make people happy. But like a sudden drop of a movie into an Oscar race, I think that's a not a good idea. Well, it's also, <laughs> it's also a lot to ask. You come up wanting, you're not going to get a nomination for a movie suddenly that nobody had I agree. not heard of. And I agree. But you know, I love chaos. And that would have be that would yes, be you do the fact dropping as judged by the group thread today with uh, Jared Leto and Amy Adams being nominated at SAG. You uh, you do love the chaos. Listen, I'm not saying I wanted Amy Adams to get a SAG nomination. I'm just saying that I knew it was going to happen. So and you said it, and you were and right, right, and you deserve the credit. But like airdropping Marley Matlin, an already already an Oscar winner, into this category that now everybody, including me, has decided that Glenn Close is probably going to win, would be chef's yeah. kiss chaos. Like oh absolutely phenomenal and remarkable. Um, I was bummed that I didn't see Coda. Everybody else seemed to like it. You insisted on often being the fly in the punch bowl about this movie. But I, so I want to give you your moment to sort of uh, say your piece. Okay. It's less that I think it's a fly in the punch bowl. I do kind of, I was like, not butthurt, but like a little butthurt. This is a festival. it, It was a lot of things that have nothing to do with the movie, but like nobody was really talking about, any other movie but this it feels like it sucked all the oxygen out of the room and it shows because so few of these other movies and a lot of them are good and like a lot of people would like a lot of these movies didn't get bought or like there weren't deals happening for them i think like uh quest loves documentary summer of soul is one of them hopefully we'll hear somebody buying about buying that soon um because it premiered on the same night coda is the first movie that started the festival and it was just like it was the movie that the like, whole week truly sucked all the oxygen out of the room. And then when the prizes happened, which like the audience award, most predictable thing, but then the jury gives it three separate prizes and like, they only had the 10 movies to pick from in the competition. And like, there's worthy like winners there. Like the best performances I saw were in movies that won no prizes. 
Um, so here's my only other, and with the caveat that I've only I only saw three of the other dramatic competition movies. From what I was seeing from other people, it didn't seem like any of those other movies were all that well liked, with the exception of Wild Indian, sort of, and Together Together. Like, even Passing, which got a lot of good response, I saw a lot of people being like, It it "Eh." ran the spectrum of uh, people's responses. And that's, I mean... I think this maybe wasn't the festival for the movie, to be honest. Um, like, I understand why it it premiered at Sundance, but like... Passing? Yeah, yeah, it's... It was even not quite what I was expecting. It was a little bit more like... And I hadn't... I haven't read the Source novel. I know a lot of people that do and loved it. And all the people I know that have read the book liked the movie. Um, so we should say like, really quickly like before Patricia Highsmith vibe. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, just before I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just want to sort of give a little. Uh, Passing is the uh, movie based on the novel by Nella Larson. It was uh, adapted and directed by Rebecca Hall, the actress Rebecca Hall. Uh, it's a black and white movie about two women in the nineteen. 19- what like i'm terrible with like time but like <laughs> earlier in the 20th century right like 1920s maybe or something yeah. like that let's say 20s or the 30s maybe yeah sure um definitely pre is you know a good deal pre civil rights movement um uh tessa thompson and ruth nega play old childhood friends Ruth Nega is actively passing as a white lady married to a white man, married to Alexander Skarsgård. Tessa Thompson, who is sort of like momentarily mistaken for white and allows that to slide, uh, but is in general not passing for white, uh, is married to Andre Holland. Um, There's a lot to do with, obviously, race and class and harlem and ruth nega's character is very sort of interestingly like sort of wants to go back to feel this sort of the harlem vibe which at the time was very vibrant and very uh um you know something that she was sort of drawn back to but obviously she's living in two different worlds and i think she's really really great in this movie i think tessa thompson is also really good it's incredible i think andre holland is also really good i think bill camp shows up for a few scenes and i is like fantastic Uh um i'm curious to see when this movie starts being seen by more and more people where it shakes out buying netflix bought it right um where it shakes out in terms of authorship in terms of rebecca hall being a you know, white woman sort of taking the reins of this. I'm sort of hesitant to make much of a, you know, declarative statement on it one way or another, because I think in certain areas, it's not fully my conversation to have. But, um... Well, she's of uh, mixed heritage, too. Her mom is a famous opera singer who has passed for white. Um, So, like... She's been very outspoken about that connection to the story in a way that feels like trying to get ahead of it. Yeah. And it's starting to uh, be a little labored. Um, 
in a way that it's just like the movie kind of it doesn't for everybody but to me it's just like you've made this kind of substantially artful movie that has a lot to unpack and a lot to say maybe it's time to let people just process the movie yeah i liked it i maybe didn't beyond the ruth nega performance i didn't ever sort of tip over into loving it and you know for whatever reason i feel like my my favorite things at this sundance i gave out a lot of three and a half stars as i'm looking at my list on letterbox of the stuff besides the stuff that i outright didn't like um i gave out a lot of three and a half stars because there was a lot of like this is really good but i want to sort of sit with that for a while and that was definitely one of them the other one that I felt that way about was Mass. I don't think I ever talked to you about what Oof. you thought you didn't like Mass. I uh, really I think liked Mass. There's plenty about it that's decent. I don't I didn't respond as strongly as some people did. That's another movie that did kind of run the gamut of responses and I think people who saw it later versus the people who saw it first liked it a lot less. It makes sense um, that it ran the gamut because either it's Either you're into this kind of thing or not, where it's like, sit me in the middle mm-hmm. of a room with, you know, four adults around a table with this sort of terrible event from their past that they are slowly sort of unpeeling like an onion for the audience. This was written and directed by Fran Kranz, who people might know from the television show Dollhouse or the film The Cabin in the Woods. Um it's two married couples who are clearly being brought together for some kind of summit. You get the sense very early on that it's a reconciliation, but it takes mm-hmm. you a while to figure out, you know, you you pick up things. I love the sort of excavation. It's sort of like, um, like you're a paleontologist and you're sort of brushing dirt away from a dinosaur skeleton or a little bit. The picture I mean, becomes a little clearer, a little uh, clearer. That's a good way to put it for the kind of, like, almost scientific remove that it has at the first, like, half hour of the movie. But I found that really fascinating because then I'm – it was was a lot of – you're almost studying these people for clues, right? And I found that really Mm -hmm. fascinating. And then all of a sudden their sort of uh, facial expressions and the way they move and the way they sort of uh, interact or don't interact with each other becomes – it's not a puzzle, but it's like it's like I said, it's it's a a portrait sort of being slowly revealed to you. And I really liked that aspect of it. And then once you really get to know what it's about, there is a, you know, there is a, uh, a school shooting at the center of it. And one couple's son was murdered by the other couple's son, which I don't think is a spoiler because I think that's sort of apparent very early on. I don't know how you would market this mm-hmm. movie without making that <laughs> Uh, apparent there is a there was a moment or two where i was like confused and it felt like you are meant to discover which couple is which yes even i think you, you are know that that is what it is yes um and that's one of the reasons why i think the front half of the movie is significantly better than the back half of the see movie. i think the back half works because it's four really great performances it's martha plimpton and jason isaacs and ann dowd and um reed bernie and i think if any one of those performances was weaker than it was, and maybe they didn't all work for you, um, but they really worked for me, and I they thought uh, that is what 
sells the second half of the movie. And there is a turn at the very end of the movie that I think really could have come across a lot worse, but it's, but it, it hangs on and becomes like, it's a, it's somewhat something of a shocking moment within the parameters of this movie that doesn't really have anything overtly, uh, actiony happening. Um, it's all very dialogue based. And so even the more shocking things are dialogue based. Um, but there's like a last five minutes thing that happens that really, really worked for me as well. Uh, I'm closer to pushing this one up to like a four star thing than I am with passing, which maybe is I'm closer to pushing back to a three star thing. If that makes sense. I'm probably closer to pushing mass lower than I have it already. Um, I have a hard time. Here's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people like us who are potentially awardsy minded or like, that's just their writing beat, whatever. Um, flocked to this movie because of the potential for that and i don't know if it fully makes good on it because i don't think the script is very good um i think it really really kind of forces big character arcs out of these people in a way to me that feels like these people are having like a 90 minute conversation that feels crazy to me the kind of leaps that they end up going through on a personal level these characters well except for um, sorry i don't mean to uh interrupt but i just my I, I think no i think it. the movie establishes so much that like these people have been through years of a legal sort of wrangling with each other that that to me didn't seem like that much of a leap that within these 90 minutes they would traverse that much ground because they've been sort of laying the groundwork for this for so long if that makes sense. And see, I didn't necessarily feel, I felt that sense of history, but I didn't feel like groundwork, right? Sure, sure, like, sure, sure. Um, and like, I, again, this is us trying to not like go too into specifics because like, if people see this movie, this is a movie you should kind of go through all of the beats yeah. with. Um, I'm less sold on all of the performances. I think Martha Plimpton is really, really good, but she, to me, was the most frustrating character. So it's like she's giving a really good performance selling me on like character beats that I don't buy on, on the page. Right. Um, and I also think Reed Bernie is fantastic. He's probably the most understated of them. And I think has the most difficult role. Um, Jason Isaacs is the most like the, the four of them are very archetypal, right. In the conversation that they're having and that frustrated me. I don't see Jason I don't Isaacs know if I agree with most, that so. that's interesting I also think he does we just talked about this with our uh, when a man loves a woman episode he has a big stretch where he does the crying voice thing yeah that isn't actually crying that I was like this is not good um, <laughs> I really like and it. Ann Dowd who I love who very much is doing the Ann Dowd thing that is good but I don't think it's the right energy for the movie. You can kind of feel her actively slowing the movie down in a way that's not working. There were times um, when she seemed more mannered than maybe the movie could accommodate at that moment. But I uh-huh. also felt like that was there in the movie to be like a prickly thorn towards the Isaacs and Plimpton characters that like every, this is not to like make so much about this movie because there are other movies to talk about, but like there's so much of that movie is 
watching one person say their little piece that they have to say and then watch that reverberate off of the other three characters that I thought was really interesting. And I thought you wouldn't think that the directing for a movie that is essentially four people in a small room talking would be much, but I think the way that it just like just the sequence of who you're looking at when people are talking, I think is really good. I think you're I don't think you're wrong about the writing. Every once in a while, I kept thinking, like, I can't believe this isn't based on a play just because it, it has the setup of a play. But the language mm-hmm. is not the language of a play. If this was a play, it would be maybe overly uh, wordy and florid and whatever. You know what I mean? But, like, it didn't feel you super and I are on writerly. You the same page about this, though, that, like, when people are like, oh, it's so stagey, it's just people talking in a room. Like, we think that's stupid because, like, interesting conversation can be cinematic and you can watch it and it's like i i think of like one night in miami that does it incredibly well and makes it cinematic and like kind of flows on all of these beats and pivots in the conversation to make something that's really investing and really exciting i would say don't think that this movie does that well i would say the same thing about something like ma rainey's black bottom which was you know uh Talk, got a lot of talk about, you know, being a filmed adaptation of a play, but I think uh, George Sewolf does a really good job, again, of sort of like taking our eye where our eye needs to go. And I do think, I don't think Frank Kranz is on, you know, that level yet. He's still very much like a, I don't know if this is his first film, but it's, it's you know, he's an I do emerging talent. Um, but I do think there were good instincts there in terms of just like letting you watch those sort of words reverberate over the other characters, uh, the actors. I, just to sort of put maybe a button on this, I don't see this as being an awards play. I think it is too very yeah. much, uh, you know, four people in a box kind of a thing. I don't see that as making a thing. The subject matter is a hard sell too. Yeah. Um, unless the movie is just a lot better, like not to be put too fine a point on it, but like to sign up for this movie is kind of an ask. Um, and you hope that the payoff is you're going to see something amazing. And I don't know if that's what it does. I think it's really good. I think when it, when it becomes available, seek it out. I think it's very good. All right. Um, what else did we want to talk about? Talk about summer of soul. Another movie I didn't see, but you loved this movie was also on the first night of the festival. I feel like it got weirdly like I watched it and immediately went to bed. Um, cause it, I like started it at 10 o'clock at night and I am, Listen, I am an old person. Um, I like to sleep. Um, I like was like, oh, people are going to be flipping over this movie. It t- it's um, Questlove directed this documentary um, about the Harlem Culture Festival, where they were basically doing concerts for a summer in Harlem, black artists for black audiences, right? And it's the same summer that Woodstock happens. So it's like in history, it's kind of got dubbed the Black Woodstock, but it's like. Nobody talks about it, right? Because uh, it, the movie puts a really um, smart point on how um, black history in the moment and black art is not given the significance that it should. And it's really frustrating to see a movie that's about that, that also does that and get buried at the festival. That's in a similar way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it, the footage for it, like... 
I, I like tweeted out or like my letterbox log something was like put this footage in the fucking National Film Registry. The the footage of it is incredible. I mean, the artists that you see, like you'll see people like Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, other like gospel names that maybe people haven't heard of but should. Yeah. Um and like Questlove has said he used like a third of the footage. This footage was being kept in this guy's basement. Yeah. Um, for what fifty years? Um, someone will buy this. Movie. Oh, absolutely. I'm we should positive. also say it did win the prizes for the Grand Jury Prize and Audience Award for documentaries. So, like, it did, you know, get some shine. Yeah, and like, it sounds like the type of thing that, like, you know exactly what it is because it's concert footage and you know it's a lot of talking heads contextualizing it yeah but like it is absolutely like one of the best versions of that movie you've ever seen and like the concert footage is jaw-dropping um yeah another prize that uh from a movie that i did not see but you did this is becoming a theme uh jockey which was uh a movie with clifton collins jr an actor i love won the Mm -hmm. special jury award for best actor i believe it was the only acting prize uh given out for this year's sundance Mm -hmm. uh you seem to like u.s competition at least right um right because there was an on well there was an ensemble award for Coda, but that was also a uh, U.S. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, Coda won the audience award, the grand jury prize, the directing prize, and an, and ensemble, an ensemble prize. prize. Right. Uh, but so y- my impression was you liked Clifton Collins, but didn't love the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely follows maybe a softer uh, version of a movie that you've seen before. Clifton Collins Jr. plays. Um, a jockey who's like gone through the ringer. He's had the injuries. He's, you know, um, he, uh, works with Molly Parker who like believes in him, tries to get him these, uh, uh, races basically, uh, when he's past his prime. Um, and his son or a young man shows up who's a new jockey, uh, that's been following him around basically says, I am your son. Um, and it's kind of a movie of them bonding and discovering if that's true or not. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr. doesn't believe it at first. Um, so, you know, if you've seen movies like The Wrestler, mm-hmm. um, it's very similar to that, but in a horse race setting and, you know, not as taxing. Right. Um, on like the spirit to watch. But in other regards, I feel like it's just a very soft movie. It's gorgeous to look at. It's well shot, but I mean, Clifton Collins Jr. is good. I want a showcase that gives him more to do that showcases him even better. Sure. To be honest. Uh, this one was acquired by Sony Classics, so mm-hmm. there is that. Um, two things I wanted to mention. A, uh, big ups to any movie that uh, showcases the canonical shortness of an actor. I uh, <laughs> very into that. Also, can we give it up for Molly Parker? Can we just... Molly fucking Parker. Molly Parker also She's needs a so better showcase. She's so good in everything. In everything. She's the best performance in pieces of a woman, and she barely speaks and is barely in the movie the degree Um, to which i wanted so much more molly parker and so much less shia labeouf in pieces of a woman cannot be 
unoverstated. Like it cannot be, I cannot right. say that loudly enough. I just, I kept every single time there's a goddamn scene with Shia LaBeouf being terrible in that movie. Actively derailing that movie. All I'm doing is be like, what's Molly Parker doing right now? What's that character doing? And I get that like the movie is about keeping that character on the other side of a TV screen for most don't of the movie. Like that movie. Um, I don't either. I think Vanessa Kirby is as good as advertised. I think she's very, very good in that movie, but I do not, did not like that movie. Um, I didn't like even, and I love Ellen Burstyn, but I didn't even think, I thought Ellen Burstyn was a couple of really loud monologues and that's about it in that movie. Right. Right. Um, Kind of like Eliza Schlesinger. Did not appreciate having to look at Benny Safdie. That is my opinion of Pieces of a Woman. Anyway. <laughs> you do not like Safdies, we know. I don't. Um, the other acting, though, I wanted to, uh, when while we're talking about acting, maybe my favorite performance, or at least my favorite performance in a movie I didn't like, was Christopher Abbott in On the Count of Three, which won the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award, the somewhat notorious uh, Waldo, Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award seems to always go to movies and or screenwriters that like it's almost like the grammy award for best new artists where you look back in 20 years and you're just like really um i think christopher abbott's really really good in a movie that does not know what it needs to be and sort of falls victim to a lot of my sort of recurring gerard carmichael problems where he seems to his provo- his provocations never really seem to add up to as much as he thinks that they do. And that was a movie about it's a suicide packed comedy. If that appeals to y'all uh, with Gerard Car- Carmichael and Christopher Abbott and sort of, they go through this day uh, as it's going to be their last day. And Christopher Abbott has sort of these longstanding traumas that he wants to confront and, he in particular is a lot, but in a way I really responded to. He is both really entertaining, but like with that absolutely, like you never lose sight of the fact that like this is a real person who's like going through some real shit at the center, but he's just like compulsively watchable and he's really funny. He's the funniest parts of the movie when the movie actually manages to pull itself together and be funny. He's the one doing it. Um, I was less and less taken with the performance as it went on. Yeah. Though, like, at least in the first, like, half hour, I agree with you. Um, and on the opposite way, I was more taken with Carmichael as the movie uh, went on. It's, I agree with you, it's not a movie that I liked. I think it is very much in the mold of a 90s indie, like, haha guns are funny macho indie movie of the 90s that i don't like already um i mean we haven't seen a movie like that in a while but to me all of this all of the stuff with gerard carmichael and tiffany haddish at the end tiffany haddish who uh first thing i ever saw her in was his was in his uh, sitcom in gerard carmichael's sitcom Mm -hmm. um so they definitely go back uh but there's the subplot about she's his girlfriend, she's pregnant, and she ends up, uh, he ends up sort of questioning whether he wants to kill himself because he's got the kid on the way and yada, yada, yada. None of that, I didn't, I didn't really buy any of that as deeply as I needed to buy it for this movie to work for me. And, right. um, I think that was a big problem for that movie. But anyway, that wins the Waldo Salt 
screenwriting award over probably other things that could have. Um, you really liked Together Together. That sounded like something I love that maybe. Together Together. And that's uh, Patty Harrison is in that one. Talk about that one a little bit because we both love Patty Harrison. Okay, so we both love Patty Harrison. It was probably the movie I was most excited for because of Patty Harrison um, in a starring role. Um, She's opposite Ed Helms, who is a heterosexual man in his 40s who is single, who wants to have a baby, and she ends up being his surrogate. Um, And it's like the tone of the movie um, is going to make people think of a lot of rom-coms, but it's I mean, not to put a trite term on it, but it's a friend com, really. It's love like, that. Oh, my God. I love that. In every way that you think that the movie is going to punk out and become the thing you don't want it to be, it really doesn't. And, like, there is actual depth to people without, like, huge traumatic uh, things that they go through. Like, Patty Harrison... Uh, I won't spoil it, but the movie ends with Patty Harrison's face and it's such a beautiful shot and it's, it, she gives such a great performance. Um, and it's just like, uh, it, it, we just need more movies about friends. Basically. Is I what love, I'm say. I love a movie where the stakes are friendship. This is what we talked about in the station agent, right? I love absolutely. The that stakes movie. of this movie are friendship. Yeah. Um, because he, very much ed helms's character very much like has a life populated with people but doesn't necessarily have deep connections and she on the opposite side doesn't really have a lot of people in her life and kind of by choice doesn't have certain connections yeah um and of course there's like a lot of the things that you do expect of like the surrogacy issues and boundary issues but the movie's incredibly funny and like here was my thing. Like some of the people, some of the responses immediately were saying that it was too saccharine. All of this, when I found it to be incredibly layered with complex emotions on top of like a sentimental feeling because it wants to be a certain type of movie, right? Yeah. They gave other movies like Coda a free pass for doing the same thing. It's so funny. Which isn't to a me. dig against Coda because those were the things I liked about Coda, right? But it's so funny to me that the Patty Harrison movie is getting tagged as too saccharine because she's so. Um, there's a lot of thorns on her comedy. You know what I mean? Like she's can be really. And they're still there. They're acidic. still there in the movie, but yeah. like, it's it is Patty Harrison without maybe like the like really sharp edges that you and i probably love her for but it still feels like yeah her brand of humor yeah. right? like it is uh, to me it was the big sick of this sundance that's a good pull quote hopefully they use that um last one i want to talk about before we uh say goodbye but i do want to get to this because um i think we're both on the same page about this one when everybody first saw John in the Hole and all the reactions out came out and everybody after the other, one person was more negative than the, than the last. And I was like, I can't imagine I'm going to hate this movie as much as everybody else does. It's not possible. I like weird, quirky shit like this. I'll probably... You, ha- you have a problem when everybody hates something. You have this thing in your brain that makes you want to like it. And I was like, dude... 
you're not going to like this movie. I don't like to be told that I'm going to not like something before I see it. I want to see it for myself. I want to make my own reaction. My own reaction is this movie fucking sucks. But like, it sucks in a way that I want to talk about it for like 25 minutes because like, I could not believe that nothing happens in this movie after he puts him in the hole to the degree that nothing happens in this movie after he it puts him the in the hole. It is the most sophomoric conceived in a frat bedroom so concept dumb. of a movie where it's like all these movies that go into explaining like misanthropic teens, it's like, well, what if he just didn't feel those th- like you know it's just, it's not like, even it's, about that though it's not even about the like the point of the movie is how empty it is that is the point of the movie the premise of this movie is he's in what like he's like a freshman or sophomore in high school like maybe even junior high like he's young um probably junior high actually he's like 13 yeah it's like a 13 year old um decently wealthy parents not like ostentatiously wealthy but like uh, this movie <laughs> is so bad that like it communicates to you how wealthy his parents are by literally showing you a shot of their bank balance at an ATM that is how dumb yes. it thinks you are that you can't tell from the context clues of their house how which rich they are they have to like give you a dollar amount on an ATM balance that made me furious okay anyway it's about a teenage boy who puts his entire family in a hole in the ground why does he put in a hole? Put them in a hole in the ground because he can. This is that's the thing. The only motivation for it. His parents and his sister. He drugs him. He drags him out into the woods. There's a bomb shelter out there for whatever reason. He drops him into the bottom of it. They somehow don't get like horribly injured after being dropped from that height into a concrete thing. Whatever, whatever. Well, doesn't there, make, you doesn't saw matter. The rope. He like did a pulley system. He's got them thirteen down. years. That's the, they don't show it for a reason because it does defy physics that he'd be able to hold up their weight anyway. Um. So they go into the hole. This happens fairly early. And then the rest of the movie is like almost bradily determined to not tell you anything. It thinks it's making a really big statement by not answering the question of why he would do this. There is no real yeah. good reason. He's not traumatized by anything. He's not abused by them. His dad sort of is strict, but like not too strict. His sister's a little mean to him, but not over, like not outside the bounds of what regular, you know, sibling relationships are like. Uh, every at every single turn, like he plays a lot of video games, it's like but they're anti-psychosis. right. He plays a lot of video games, but they're tennis video games. So like every time, it seems like it keeps giving you these things. Like you think you want an explanation, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not giving you easy answers, whatever. But in in the absence of easy answers, it doesn't give you anything. It just wastes your goddamn time for ninety minutes or however long it is. It's probably longer than that. It felt like forever. Um, but it just, and it's so pleased with itself for not telling you anything. And meanwhile, there's these like dumb interstitials of this like parallel story that I texted you and Katie afterwards. And I was like, literally, what the fuck was that? What was the fuck was going on? The director on? has, uh, I read the director's notes for this movie. The director says that this whole like framing device is only there to say, yes, you're watching a fable, which no shit I can tell just by like the tone and context of this movie and B he wants to say well this could happen in any other home it's not just this is not a unique story this is potentially all homes or more homes which fuck but again it's a fable except for the definition of a fable is a story that teaches a lesson and this movie refuses to 
come to the part where it's a lesson or to explain anything because that's its vibe. It doesn't want to explain anything. So like then to frame itself around being a fable is just like such a sophomoric way of doing it. And then, I mean, whatever, I don't want to spoil the ending, I guess, but just like, if you think that in the end, something's going to happen to make it all worthwhile, sorry to disabuse you of that notion because it doesn't happen. And it's just, I couldn't believe that, Everybody else's reactions to it were not overreacting. I so wanted to be like, come on, guys. Like, let's be serious. But like, nope, it's super stupid. It's really dumb. And it wastes the talents of Jennifer Ely, which like, don't do that. Like, how dare you do it that? She shoves her in sake. a hole and puts some dirt on her face. How dare you? Jennifer Ely is one of our finest. We are on the, this planet for a limited amount of time. And we do not get too many, you know, there's only so many rotations around the sun. And there's only so many Jennifer Ely movies that she's going to get to do. And one of them is this shit. So great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I was so frustrated. Not even fr- frustrated feels like it's giving the movie too much credit that I was wrestling with it or whatever. No. It also it also went into the festival with a certain pedigree. It was one of two movies that was included in the can lineup that they announced whatever the Right. That's been, why I wanted to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why a lot of people they thought it was going to be a thing. Yeah. Um the other movie was this uh movie that was in the world competition uh called pleasure that is set in the world of amateur porn following this uh woman who wants to be uh an amateur porn star it follows a lot of the like star is born story beats but with you know some explicit detail of uh the actual porn world um i don't imagine uh i don't know how people are going to see this movie soon but maybe you will it's good um and uh kind of really smartly observed about uh a lot of like not just sexual mores but um in a way that feels more like richer and authentic and subversive with its eye towards like what are you sacrificing for success yeah um, type of things or like what do you even want or do you just are you just chasing this idea of success right yeah um there's two movies I want to talk. I at least want to mention before. I was going to say I have go. a couple stragglers too. Let's do rapid fire on these ones just to sort of clean house. Give me your rapid fires. Okay, so of the all my other rapid fires are almost all horrors except for Crypto Zoo, and I know we both saw that one. That also got purchased by somebody. Um, really, I missed that. Yeah, uh, where at least it says it on. Uh, on Wikipedia that Magnolia uh, purchased it. So oh, well, that makes that. sense. That. That's probably the perfect home for that very weird movie that I was far too sober to watch. Um, it. it is <laughs> um, not designed for sober people. It's animated. It's um, the animate the I believe the director of this movie. Did I say that right? Was uh, uh, now I'm forgetting the research that I did while I was watching this. But um, was the, the guy who it's did a the follow up to my entire high school sinking into the sea? Right. That's but the title. Um, he also was the animator on um rabbit hole the comic book yes illustration in rabbit hole that i was i loved that so much i thought that was so well done and so moving um this is weird and it borders on being really good but i don't think i ever quite got there it is a futuristic sort of story about uh 
mythological creatures are real. Your sort of uh, mm-hmm. griffins and minotaurs and everything like that, and they're uh, hunted down and they're kept in a zoo. And there's the it brushes it's up one on of these the many in a line of biblical origin turning into mythical creature queer um, warny. Yeah, so yeah, many yeah, of yeah. them. Yeah, we have yes. them. It's cool that it exists. I re- I would definitely recommend seeing it when it becomes available for you to see. Um, there are portions... Under a controlled substance. Yeah. There are times when it sort of doesn't quite go down an avenue I wanted it to go down in terms of uh, what it wants to say about how we sort of protect people without acknowledging their humanity and that kind of a thing. Whatever. Um uh, Lake Bell is a voice in this. Grace Zabriskie is a voice in this. The girl from um, what's the Yorgos Lanthimos? Alps, the uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movie, Alps, uh, is uh, yes. a voice in this, and I can't remember. That's, her uh, name. that's his partner. Yes. Why can I never remember her name? I feel like an asshole. Um, but it's Angelica really interesting. Papuli? What's that? Angelica Papuli. I yes, believe, is that's the pronunciation. Absolutely. Yes, and thank you. Um, that was really good. The other ones I want to talk about are all horror movies, and in general, two out of three I really liked. I thought Censor might have been my favorite thing from the whole festival that I saw, which is a nod to uh, the video nasties sort of subgenre of uh, in, in the distribution in England of these kind of low-budget exploitation horror movies that got Margaret Thatcher and the conservative uh, sort of bent in uh, in England at the time got them all up in arms. Uh, Some a woman, of the more famous video nasties are like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, Evil Dead, I imagine, is probably... I believe Dawn of the Dead was one, too. Yeah. So this woman uh, is a censor. She works uh, with the uh, censor or to essentially decide what it, what cuts movies have to make to be able to be distributed, right? And in watching the movies of this one particular filmmaker, sees uh, similarities to a childhood trauma that she has, and all of a sudden you start to question her sort of hold on sanity, and it's uh, really, really satisfying. The visuals are really amazing without being sort of uh, lazily just a carbon copy of the aesthetics of the genre and era that they're talking about, which I think is really interesting. Uh, It does a lot with color saturation that I think is like really unsettling in a way that I loved. Um, You saw this, yes? Yes, I saw it. I immediately wanted to watch it or program it with a Peter Strickland movie. Yes, Um, absolutely. That's that's definitely the vibe, though probably more accessible than Peter Strickland's movies, um, like In Fabric or uh, Barbarian Sound Studio specifically. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree with you on all that. I imagine that this will be able to be seen soon because it does feel like one of the more accessible things that I watch. Yeah. Um, that it could very easily be picked up by Shudder or IFC Midnight. Yeah. Um, It'll, you'll be able to see it eventually pretty soon, I would imagine, sometime in the next year. And when you are, uh, go check it out. It's really good. It's um, a fun time. I want the Screen Draft boys to be able to see it. They did a video nasties episode. They did, so yes. Immediately thought of them. Uh, the other horror movie that I thought was really effective was We Are All Going to the World's Fair, which is a I was sort of bring this up. trucks in the creepypasta genre of sort of uh, online role-playing horror 
games slash sort of excuses for uh, TikTok kids to make uh, creepy <laughs> horror videos of themselves, but does uh, presents this in a way that is always blurring the line between whether what you're seeing is uh, these kids sort of putting on a show or whether your your expectation is that something about this is going to be realer than real and somebody's you know mm-hmm. opened you know opened the wrong door into the wrong uh, dimension or whatever um but it also then layers on this other angle to it which is There's about a lot of dimensions it's the movie that i saw in the entire festival that i feel most protective about not spoiling anything yes, yes. um and I don't even want to say like what the other elements. I, I guess of I don't want to get into it because, like, I yeah. feel like it's a movie that you should kind of see fresh to be able to experience it as um, as it wants you to. Right. Experience. All I will say is that it's really smart about a lot of aspects of the fact that we, in many ways, live online. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it really it's insightful about the medium of what we're seeing in the movie and it's smart, but also like while at the same time being like really, really visceral in terms of like, (laughs) there are certain scenes where you're just like really, really unsettled, like to the, to your sternum kind of a thing. Visceral and um, the emotion of it too. Yeah. Because I think it gets at, like you said, how we live our lives online. It gets at a certain emotion about that experience that I don't think I've seen a film ever kind of express. Um, certainly not as eloquently as it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, this is reductive because it's all of these things, but not really. Um, I, after I watched it, I kind of pitched it to you as unfriended meets eighth grade meets slender man which like that's pretty accurate it's accurate but like don't overthink that like pitch (laughs) you know like don't overthink that because like it sounds like the most reductive version of what the movie is i think it's really complex like when i said like i wanted to feel like i discovered something yeah this was the movie that gave me that experience yeah Um, if you're into like like i I said that people get to see it it's a it's a very uh, unique movie. It feels a little like niche. So like, I don't know who would buy this movie, but like we can all hope that whoever does is going to be a distributor that will take very good care of this movie because it deserves it. This is though, this is a movie where I could see it just like being a word of mouth kind of a thing where I I think no matter who ends up distributing it, just get it out there and just let people sort of pass it around to each other. Um, It's the type of thing that I could see playing like a billion festivals before it actually gets released. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think Tiff would be a genius to put this in their midnight section. It's a, it's a midnight madness movie that would do very, very well. I think absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you know anybody who is into, like I said, creepypasta stuff or, um, like even like Jezebel scary stories, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, highly recommended for sure. What else did you have that you want? Oh, just in really quickly, I wanted to love eight for silver, the, uh, werewolf movie with, uh, with, uh, Boyd Holbrook and it's it, extremely our shit, right? Like it yeah. should be 
a movie that we love, but it has some of the worst CGI I've seen in a while. The CGI like is the, really bad. It's um, like the the I Am Legend CGI vampire things. Imagine that in Nintendo 64 graphics. Yeah, it was... They looked like a GoldenEye character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even even without that, I still thought it was... it. Um, it's a movie that feels like it watched The Witch a lot and wanted what that movie had and was just like... Wanted the witch that, meets Sleepy Hollow. Those sort right. of ominous scenes of like staring out into woods and waiting for the woods to stare back and that kind of a thing. Or um, it did, did a lot of the thing of just like it kept returning to like similar shots because the repetition of it um, was going to make it more impactful. Or like there are also there are so many shots in this movie of people waking up in a terrified sweat from a nightmare <laughs> Like, so many. We should say it's basically like a period werewolf Period werewolf movie, movie. Sort of. right, right. Yeah. Yeah, what if the Crossed witch, but werewolves. like, and... the occult, yeah. It's a movie about a haunted grill, because, like, they kill <laughs> these witches that have a silver, like, mouthpiece that they, they put right. in their mouth, and then it sends out these creatures right or you become a creature well they know that you have to grill yeah they know that you have to kill a werewolf with silver with sort of silver kind of uh, arrowheads right and so in retaliation for being uh exterminated by the white people who sort of uh roll in to their village uh they melt down all their silver into a pair of uh chomper fangs that Sort of look like if you wind them up, they would just like go chattering across a table or something like that. Um, and again, the imagery could use a lot of work. Um, some of it's effective. They could also stand to cut the prologue of the movie that absolutely dispels any tension in the final Gives act it of the all movie. away. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so not good. What else did you want to talk about? Uh, I definitely wanted to talk about We're All Going to the World's Fair. Um, the other movie I want to point out, specifically for the performances, is Wild Indian that played in uh, the U.S. competition. Yes. Um, it is from a Native filmmaker. Um, it's about two Native men who, again, a movie I wouldn't want to spoil that much, but like this movie got buried, so I just hope that people can see it at all. Um it's a very complex movie. I don't think it is fully successful in what it's trying to do, but it basically is these two men who knew each other in childhood um, and uh, their relation to a murder um, without saying too much mm -hmm. and the effect that it has on their whole life. Um, the One of them grows up to be the lead character of the movie played by Michael Grayeyes, who's this really interesting subversion of um, what we usually see of Native men um, in films, um, but he's incredible. He's uh, basically playing a psychopath um, who has been traumatized um, his whole life. Um, but then especially, probably uh, with the exception of Ruth Nega, the best performance that I saw at the festival, the other man, the other adult man, played by Chasky Spencer... Um, is just like mind blowing, um, in his role. Nice, and they like they lead very incredibly different lives because of the effect of this murder, um, on them from their youth. Cool. 
Well, that is definitely one that's uh, going on my list of uh, things I want to see. Wild Indian. Um, I we're we're definitely <laughs> at the moment we gotta we gotta quit talking about this, even though uh, we could go into a like a bunch more stuff that you saw and go. Oh, I guess the uh, one other thing I would say: uh, watch Street Gang on HBO Max, the documentary about how they made Sesame Street. Uh, oh it's great. yeah, I cried like four yeah. times. They told me how they got to Sesame Street, guys. Yeah. Um, watch that movie follow chris on letterboxd he watched all the stuff he's uh really i don't know how he did it but uh it was pretty something uh my brain liquefied that's how i did it (laughs) all right that's how i got to sesame street that's how that's how chris got to sesame street very good all right that is our episode uh for sundance Uh, stick with us later on in the week for our next regular episode but for now if you want more this head oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this head oscar buzz.tumblr.com you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz Chris, I just shouted out your letterbox, but why don't you tell us in your own words where the listeners can find you and yourself? Uh, you can find me going to the World's Fair on Twitter.com at ChrisVFile, also on Letterboxd under the same name. All right. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled R-E-I-D in both cases. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts, now including Spotify. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So leave us a nice review or we will come haunt you with our uh, scary possessed wolf grill. So there's that. Uh, that's all for this week. Uh, actually, that's not all for this week. There'll be a regular episode coming your way uh, in a few more days. But in any case... It's all for now. Well, yeah, it's all for now. We hope you'll be back uh, next time for more Abuzz. Buzz.